Fathom Academy podcast, a ministry of Fathom Church in Littleton, Colorado. Fathom Academy seeks to provide resources to help people go deeper with God. I'm Chris Martin, lead pastor of Fathom, and with me today is Aaron Eichmann. Uh, Aaron and his family have been a part of Fathom Church for about a year and a half. Um, Aaron is a biblical counselor specializing in youth and young adults. And before moving into the vocational field of counseling, Aaron spent over 15 years as a local pastor, focusing much of his efforts in uh, the area of youth ministry. So I've asked Aaron into this conversation today because uh, today we're going to be talking about uh, the very difficult and relevant topic of teen suicide. So Aaron, thanks so much for giving us some of your time today. Thanks, Chris. It's good to be here with you today. All right, man. Well, um... We're going we're gonna to skip the chit-chat and jump right into this because this is going to be a heavier one, and, and we're just going to acknowledge that kind of upfront that this is a heavy topic, and this is going to be kind of uh, one of those heavier experiences. So, Aaron, as we talk about teen suicide today, uh, why, why, are, why are we addressing it right now? I mean, so it is now fall 2017 here in Littleton, Colorado. Why, why now? Why this topic right this, this day? Well, it's... Kind of interesting because every year around the beginning of school, end of school, around winter break, end of winter break, we see this upswing in, in depression and just upsetting thoughts within teenagers. And it really begins to, to terrify parents as they see their kids emotionally dip. And this year alone, we've seen a spike in teen suicides at the beginning of this school year even here in the Littleton School District, which has shocked a lot of parents, has terrified them. And one of the biggest questions that I've been getting is, Aaron, how do I talk to my kids about this? How do I make sure that my kid isn't one of these kids? I don't want them to be the next statistic when the statistics roll out as to what's going on in youth culture today. Yeah. Oh, man. And it's just been, it's been terrifying. It is, it has, uh, directly affected members of Fathom Church. And so, yeah, I, I agree, man. I think we are just uh, responding really to uh, something that we're sensing in our community right now. Now, this will be a relevant topic for years and years to come, but the the reason we're doing this right now is because it just seems to be happening and live, essentially, right now in this this South Denver community, and, and really beyond, I'm sure, but at least our church that is being directly affected by this. Um, so, so then let, let, me, let me then kind of move and, and turn uh, the, a corner here. Uh, as we talk about teen suicide and, and as you're kind of receiving these, um, th- these questions from parents, it seems that there's kind of this uptick or this upswing in teen suicide. Um, but I, I wanted to know just from, from your perspective, from your expertise as a, a counselor, is this actually a spike, or are these numbers artificial? Are we just knowing more about it? I mean, talk to us a little bit about is the, is there actually an increase right now, or are we just are we just kind of becoming more aware of it at this point? I'd, I'd say it's a little bit of all of that. I mean, one of the big things is with the expansion of social media and kids having access to smartphones and tablets at a younger and younger age, their ability to learn about topics, their ability to communicate with others is on an increase. So when somebody is depressed, one of the, the first things that they do is going to get on social media and they're going to post to their friends, I'm having a rough day, because they're, they're looking for that feedback. And so that instantaneous response leads to impulsivity, and that impulsivity then can lead to all sorts of other outcomes. And so what we're seeing is a lot of 
teenagers feeding off of one another. They're feeding off of each other's response and they either lift each other up or lower each other down. And so ultimately what we have seen is an increase in teen suicides, at least in the Littleton area, over the last couple years. And it's really started to scare a lot of the, the schools and a lot of the teachers, a lot of the parents, a lot of the local churches and communities as they're just kind of their heads are spinning and they're going, what, what do we do about this? So I would say, yeah, it is, it's becoming a in, more increasing epidemic as we move along, as people are getting more connected and as people are finding themselves in places where they feel more abandoned and more lonely and they start to reach out on social media, they're not getting the responses that they want. And so it's easier for people to see that and interact with that now versus in the past, you'd have to pick up a newspaper and read about something or somebody would have to call you on the telephone and tell you about it. And it would be weeks or months afterwards that you would hear about these things. Now we're hearing about them in, in real time and people are having to deal with that and process that. Yeah. That instant connection, that instantaneous feedback and news cycle is, is made it almost more live, more palpable. There's not really any kind of buffer zone. So that's important. That's a really important. Good. Um, okay. So let me then, um, let me ask this and, and I think in, in light of any kind of tragedy, people try to point fingers and they try to get their finger on a pulse of what's the cause and effect. Uh, and I think that may be a problematic um, venture. I think it might be problematic to just say, hey, what what is the cause here? But I don't think it's problematic to discuss factors that might feed into suicide. So you've already you've already mentioned social media kind of the immediacy of relationships never being disconnected things like that, but I just wrote a few of these things down just thinking through this. I'm just going to bring them up and and then you feel free to uh, disregard or not answer or what but I would just what, what might be feeding into this? I'm thinking uh, there's there's this Netflix show that's called 13 Reasons Why which essentially uh, is documenting uh, this 13 videos or letters or something that were left by uh, a girl who committed suicide. So that might be stirring some of this up. Um, here in Colorado, we just passed legislation uh, this past cycle that that uh, legalized physician-assisted suicide. So uh, that might be playing into this. Um, obviously, Colorado is kind of known now for our, our drug culture, this marijuana legalization. So is, is marijuana and drug use maybe tied to this in some way? And then obviously, social media, which leads then also to the conversation of cyber bullying, like is it? Would you say that 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 these these things are feeding into? Maybe we feel like you want to comment on any of these things, or or maybe something I'm missing entirely. Yeah, I mean that's a good list, Chris. So the 13 reasons why uh, it was really interesting when that came out because there was a lot of, of mixed reviews on that, and people got upset, and some people championed it. The reality is, is the world that teenagers and even children to some degree in elementary school and middle school walk into, they are hearing this stuff from their friends. They're interacting with it. They, even if they haven't seen 13 Reasons Why, their friends are having dialogues and conversations about this. I think the reason that, that people reacted um, so immensely to the 13 Reasons Why is now all of a sudden what has been talked about there's a visual representation of it and so people are sitting down watching this and they're beginning to realize the the caliper of the problem that is becoming systemic all over our community and so when it comes to the 13 reasons why um that's one of those things 
I, I would say it doesn't inform students as to the possibility, but it definitely gives them a much more vivid picture of what it could potentially look like. Yeah, yeah. And I, somebody told me that they're coming out with the second season, which is the, the aftermath of the first season. Hmm. And so if that's true, part of me wishes that they had come out at the same time so that people could have seen not only what happens in the moment, but also what happens afterwards yeah. to the people that, that are here, that are left with that question of what happened? Why, yeah. why did this happen? So there, there could be something there, um, but most, of, most teenagers are already involved in conversations like that. They're already involved in understanding what has gone on with their friends and with, within themselves. Um, when it comes to the physician-assisted suicide, I, I haven't heard anything that would connect that with the, the current teen suicides or anything like that. Yeah, and I, and I, I wasn't, it just seemed coincidental. You know, mm -hmm. I don't know if there was any link there. It, it, it just, on a whole, and now this is, you know, the pastor side, the conservative pastor side of me coming out, that the sanctity of human life, mm -hmm. of all human life, seems to be on the downs, down, downward spiral. Mm -hmm. I mean, we, we always talk about that in terms of abortion, but when we start talking about um, the elderly, the the uh, uh, the terminally ill, and then also now when it comes to those who are, are depressed or who uh, have see the option of taking their own life as a relief of pain, uh, I, I just wasn't sure if that might play into it. I'm, I'm in, I, I was just interested to know from your counseling experience if that's been something that has come up at all. Yeah, from the counseling side of it, the, the biggest thing that I see out of that is what value as an American culture, what value are we placing on human life? And that, I would say that is the biggest piece of that. That's the biggest role that that, I think, would play is at what point do we, do we go, well, your life is just not valuable enough anymore. And I think that, that in and of itself can drive people to some pretty dark places. But I, I haven't seen any direct correlation, but who knows? Well, yeah. as I mean, we're not even a full year into that. And so we'll see um, in the years to come kind of what happens with that. When it comes to the, the drug use, yeah, that is, that is a contributing factor. Okay. Um, kids that are, are getting involved with drugs at younger and younger ages, as their brains are developing, it, it's starting to inhibit the brain development. It's starting to rewire their brain, rewire their addiction patterns. And all of a sudden, they're finding themselves in these darker places and not realizing why they've gotten there. Um, I haven't read any direct research yet, but I know um, in recent suicides, there has been, as toxicology reports come back, there has been drugs involved mm. in, in those different suicides. Yeah. So the social media piece and cyberbullying, I mean, you're hitting on it right there. That, that's the piece where kids are beginning to lose their sense of value within themselves, their sense of belonging, their sense of, of being within a community. When you have you know, somebody post a picture of you on Snapchat or something like that and they send it out to their 500 followers and you happen to see that picture and it's an embarrassing picture or they're making fun of you or something like that, now all of a sudden you're humiliated and you are the topic of conversation. And that, that level of cyberbullying in which parents don't see because of the, the short amount of time that, that that photo is actually circulated through something like Snapchat or, or something like that, Teens don't know what to do with that. They, they don't know who to turn to when, when that stuff's going on because they're afraid if, if I turn to a guidance counselor, if I turn to a teacher, they're just going to, you know, they may call that person out, but then it, is it going to be worse for me? Mm -hmm. it, am I going to go home and am I going to read the inbox on, on Facebook or, or look at some Instagram posts and, and 
have to deal with this on a deeper level. And so again, they, they begin to isolate themselves, they begin to pull away. So I would say, yeah, when it comes to, to suicide, the, the cyberbullying, the social media piece, those play large roles and have done so over the last 10 years as this smartphone explosion has, uh, has taken off and you see kids younger and younger carrying around new iPhones and, and new Samsung phones and, and all that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. We're going to get uh, a little later in this conversation, we're going to get into kind of some practical conversations that, that parents might have with kids. And I'd like to kind of circle back to what techno- how technology fits into that, but we're going to get to that. Uh, let me, let, let, let's kind of, um, so we kind of looked at our, at our current state as a culture. We're kind of talking about maybe some, some reasons why or, or, or uh, areas that might be feeding into uh, the, this seeming seemingly uptick in, in suicides or attempts um, but but I I, I think uh, pastorally as as Christians we want to deal with this both biblically and theologically so um, our, our people at fathom Church are, are going to be coming from a wide range of theological and church backgrounds or even unchurched backgrounds many of our folks weren't raised in this uh, this church uh, and so so uh, let's talk a little bit about kind of the theological framework that we should have as Christians surrounding the topic of suicide. So maybe, maybe why don't you start with just uh, wh- wh- what are maybe some misconceptions about suicide? Uh, maybe, maybe what uh, questions people have you think theologically uh, uh, around suicide? And we can kind of just kind of ping pong this back and forth a little bit about theology and and the Bible and what 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 God maybe thinks of this whole thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one of the one of the biggest ones that I've run into, one of the biggest questions has been uh, when you have a Christian student that commits suicide, and the parents are sitting with you, and they just look at you and they go, "Why?" Like he knew the truth, he knew, he knew the gospel, he he knew Christ. I saw him walking with Christ, and then they just look at you and they ask, "Why?" Mm-hmm. And that's I would say that's the biggest question, and that's unfortunately the the one question or one of the questions that is impossible to completely answer Mm. because that person is not here anymore to specifically sit down and go, well, these are the contributing factors that have led to this. And so that emptiness that people feel within that, within a suicide comes from never having that answer fully answered for them. And so I think to your point, kind of wrapping our heads around what, what is, What's kind of some theology that could surround this? What what what's some some biblical themes that we can surround this? It gives people hope and, and it gives people a direction to go. And I, I think probably one of the the biggest misconceptions and one of the the biggest things out there that people have have thrown out there in a way that has done more damage than people could possibly have imagined is when something like this happens and somebody immediately turns to them and goes, "Well, you know what?" your son, your daughter, they killed themselves. That's murder. That's an unforgivable sin. So they're pretty much in hell at this point. Hmm. And I've sat with numerous people who have heard that before. And as tears roll down their face, they just ask why and why would God do this? And and why would a a loving God have allowed this to happen? Those are are the questions when it comes to the, the theological perspective that we find ourselves wrestling with in in the the counseling arena. Yeah, so so I think that's you're hitting on a ton of different pieces here, and I think they're all so important. Um, specifically talking about sin, specifically talking about murder, 
specifically talking about then suicide as a form of murder and then also um, suffering in a much larger, you know, I mean, even even so much as the problem of pain, you know, why do bad things happen? Um, why does God, how does God allow that? How could a good God allow these things? These are huge topics. We obviously can't get into all of them. So let me just kind of hone us in a little bit. First, let's just talk about this. Is, um, is suicide a sin? What, what, would we as biblical, biblically informed Christians believe that suicide is in fact a sin? And that, that's a great question because as you look throughout Scripture, right? Judas, yeah. he, he killed himself. Yeah. Not much is said about that afterwards. But then you have Samson who also killed himself. Yeah. And he had this great burial afterwards. And then you have all these people that are begging God that they can die. Yeah. God, I, I wish I was never born. Why, why is, this, is this happening to me? That, that type of stuff. And so it's, it's something I think biblically people have wrestled with probably since the beginning of creation or the beginning of sin. Yeah. And so now we find ourselves in a place of going, well, is this a sin? Well, is, you, you need to ask, is suicide murder? And it is one person taking a life. It is removing a life from this existence, which is murder. And so then you have to ask yourself, the question is, what, where does that sin leave us? What, what do we do now with that sin? Mm-hmm. If we can identify that as a sin, yes, we can. Then what do we do with that sin? Yeah. What does somebody do with the, the last sin of their life? Yeah. Is yeah. it forgiven? Is it not forgiven? Should they have done something one way or the other? Where are they now? So yeah, yeah, and I think that's I, and I think that's good. Kind of a, a good logical framework to set this up is to say, okay, first is suicide murder, and I think if we look at that definition of murder as uh, a human unlawfully taking the life of another human, um, or maybe we would say of any human uh, themselves included in that, then yeah. I think we, we, we can say that suicide is a category of murder, which is very clear biblically that murder is a sin. It's a breaking of one of God's commandments for his people. So then if suicide is a sin, then I think you, you already alluded to it. The next question is, is what you've already heard. Is, there, is this an unpardonable sin? Is, is murder or is specifically suicide uh, what we would consider something unpardonable by the gospel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's it is a great question, and you find yourself wrestling with with what is this unpardonable sin? And you know, people reference the passage out of Matthew, and and they begin to to question, well, could this be that? Could that? Could could this be something that would would drive my soul to to hell for all eternity? Mm-hmm. And the reality is, is at the end of somebody's life, it, it really is between them and the Lord, the condition of their heart. And, you know, at least from the way the, the Bible portrays the gospel, we read that Christ died for all sins. And that includes any final sins that we commit before we, we pass away. And so it really depends on the condition of somebody's heart, which obviously we can't judge. We can see the fruits of the condition of their heart through the fruits of the Spirit. But... You know, to sit back and, and condemn somebody to hell as an unpardonable sin, I, I would say that's way off base and far more damaging and not in any way biblical. Yeah. And that's so helpful, uh, Aaron, as you talk through that, because <clears throat> I think um, 
I think there's been some bad, uh, I think there's certainly been some bad theology surrounding suicide as the unpardonable sin. Uh, but I think underneath the root of that is probably a really mismatched understanding of the gospel. Essentially, uh, the understanding is if you, in your last moment, somehow sin, right? If if your last, very last uh, conscious act or deed is in fact a sin like murder, that somehow that is not covered uh, under the grace bought to us, bought for us through Christ's blood on the cross. And so, um, I, I was just reading this week that John Piper uses this illustration. I think it's great. Where <clears throat> he says, "Well, if I, you know, I, I leave. Uh, let's just say I am in a heated, heated argument with with my wife at home. We are just fighting for whatever reason. Uh, we're fighting, and my anger level gets gets up, and I'm yelling, and I'm maybe throwing things, or I just I, I lose my temper, and so I leave the house. I get in my truck uh, just to go cool off. But in that moment, I am angry, and in a, in a very sinful way, I am." angry, I'm furious, I have let that anger turn to something that I really did not intend for it to, but I am in sin. I get in my truck, I start driving, I'm sinning, I'm angry, I'm just trying to cool down, and in the midst of that, I skid out, run into a tree, and die. In that, in a car crash right then and there, um, John Piper would say, is, is that last act of sin going to be what I am judged for? Is that what God will ultimately, finally determine whether or not essentially I'm in or out when it comes to eternity? Um, he would say, He would say, maybe, right? Like maybe that last moment is actually a direct reference to my heart's condition, but um, it need not be the perfect indicator of my heart. Uh, we Listen, we know as Christians that we're going to continue to feel the effects of our sinful nature, even though we are saved. We know that there will be remnants of that old man popping through. We will continually, until Christ comes or or takes us home, we will continue to battle against ourselves uh, in sin. And so even if our last breath, our very last moment, is a sin that need not um, negate the grace purchased for us on the cross. And so I, I love that you said it, it has to do with our hearts. It has to do with um, essentially, do do you believe in the gospel that, that Jesus alone is the one who saves you? It's not Jesus plus not killing yourself that saves you. That would be an addition to the gospel, but it's Christ alone who is the one who redeems us. So I, anything you also you want to add to that before we kind of turn from kind of theology or the Bible? Anything we might be missing in this conversation thus far? I don't know about missing, but, but adding to that, the level of hope that that gives people mm. when they have a true, authentic understanding of the gospel, the, the level of hope and joy that can come within that, especially in hard times, um, you know, suicide aside, any, any form of sin, being able to know, gosh, like... I know that I messed up and I, I know that I want to be obedient to the Lord, but I also know that I'm forgiven. And I also know that he doesn't hold that over me. And that, that transformational piece is one, and I know we'll talk about it later, what, what parents can do when interacting with their kids. But giving your kids a healthy understanding of the gospel gives them a hope in those times that they feel hopeless. Yeah. And that is so good. Uh, I, yeah, I, I, the more and more that I just study God's word and and try and believe the gospel more and more in my heart, the more I think it's the solution for everything. Essentially, it becomes the root for all of this. So um, just in case anybody that, that might listen to this is 
um, in kind of a, a bad spot, a depressed spot, maybe thinking through or or, or contemplating suicide, uh, man, we would just encourage you to talk about it, encourage you away from that, encourage you with the hope of the gospel. Talk with a pastor, talk with a, a parent, talk with a friend. I mean, encourage yourself with the truth um, because in that dark, dark, depressed place, Man, that's you are walking outside of the light, and you are walking away from the truth. And and there is just such a better way. There is such a better hope. The hope that suicide presents, which is relief, which is maybe retribution. Those hopes are pale in comparison to the hope that we have in the gospel. So, um, okay, let's thanks, Aaron, for 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 that. Let let us turn kind of one last corner here, and and let's turn to talking about advice. Um, uh, advice for families in our church, advice for individuals, whether you have kids or not. Uh, I mean, how do we how do we address this issue? How do we respond to this issue? Uh, what 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 do we do to protect against this? While at the same time, I mean, I don't know how you can fully protect against any sin, but just love to hear your 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 input on this bit. Wow, do we have four or five days to talk about this? Because uh... <laughs> Man, I'll tell you what, this recording is free, my friend. So we there could keep go. going if you want, but yeah, there just you go. yeah, bring it bring it bring it to to whatever you extent you feel would be really applicable, just so that we have something to take home with us beyond kind of a state of culture, beyond a theological framework, uh, maybe something that's tactile and mm-hmm. tangible for our folks. Yeah. And so I'll start with the parents. The biggest thing with parents is they need to be willing to admit where they truly are. If they are terrified of this, if it's keeping them up at night, if they're just on their knees in prayer trying to figure out what what do I do with this, they need to know that they're not alone. There is a, a lot of biblical counselors out there. There's a lot of pastors out there that would love to sit down and, and talk parents through this stuff because it is important and it can be dark and it can be terrifying. So the first thing I would say is making sure that as, as parents we're aware of the condition of our own mind, where our own mind's going, where our heart's going, the things that we're scared of, the things that we're nervous about, the things that we're excited to talk to our kids about, that piece is going to be important because kids have this meter within them that they can read people really well, especially teenagers. And if there's any fakeness, if there's any of that stuff within the dialogue that the parents are giving the kids, then they're going to pick up on that really quick. So even to the point of being honest with your teen, you know, you read about in the newspaper, you see something on social media that somebody has taken their own life and you sit down with your teenager and you go, all right, let's talk about this. And you look them square in the eyes and go, I don't want to talk about this with you because it's terrifying to me and I'm scared for you and I'm scared for our family and I'm scared for the community. That level of honesty will draw that teenager into the conversation more because they'll view the parent as wow, they're being completely honest with me. They, they want to have this conversation, and they may not even know how to have this conversation, which for a teenager can be a huge breath of fresh air because most teenagers would go, I don't know how to have this conversation, yeah. even with my friends. Yeah. So I'd say honesty w- would be kind of the first big piece for parents. Um, another thing kind of as, as we continue down the course of, of possibilities for parents is creating a space and a venue in which you can talk to your teenager. There's so many distractions in this world from you know, stuff going on with friends to sporting activities to homework to social media to family-related stuff 
that can be such a distraction to these important conversations. And so I would say creating a safe venue in which you have the time to actually communicate what you're hoping to communicate or discuss what you're hoping to discuss, whether that's you know, going out to a coffee shop and having the conversation or you know, leaving all the, the phones at home and going on a drive in the car, going up to the mountains and, and going on a hike and sitting you know, on a hill having the conversation, whatever, whatever you can do to minimize those distractions that would pull away from the conversation is going to be important because what that does is that places a value on the teenager, it places a value on your child, places a value on the conversation. And when somebody feels valued, it's easier for them to feel heard and feel understood and feel loved. And so being able to create that venue will pull them in to those three things. So that's another big piece. Yeah. Um, The next piece is feel free to admit that you don't know. If your teen or your child has a question and you're sitting there going, how on earth do I answer this? I don't want to mess them up. If you don't know the answer, let them know. Say, hey, I give me... 10 minutes, give me a day to do some research, to make a couple phone calls. I want to make sure that the answer I give you is an authentic and a true answer and not just something that I'm trying to, to throw out there to answer your question in the moment. And that's so huge, right? Because don't, as parents, we want to feel like we know and, oh, yeah. and we feel like it somehow diminishes our value if we don't have the right response for our kids, but that's just not the case. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. There are, there are a lot of other things. One of, one of the, the big things is knowing the, the warning signs of somebody that is kind of headed down that, that darker road, even to the degree of just warning signs of depression and, mm. and stuff like that. And so there's, you can easily get online and just Google warning signs of, of suicide or warning signs of depression, and, and they'll give you a big list. But you know, for parents, I've, I've got a couple here that, that I wrote down, just things to look out for in your kid in your kids. Um, if there's any bullying going on, it needs to be addressed. Depression, uh, mental illnesses, there's certain mental illnesses that can be a, a contributing factor. If your child is in a, a dating relationship with somebody and they break up, you know, just be aware of that. These are all possibilities of conversations to have with them. Um, access to means, which basically means if there's stuff in the house and your kid's depressed, just be aware of it. Mm-hmm. Clear that stuff out. Medication, firearms, that kind of stuff. Um, family history of suicide, um, teens in today's day and age, which is a whole nother subject matter, but sexual identity concerns mm-hmm. uh, can be a big contributing factor to this. Distorted thinking and misbeliefs when we start telling ourselves different lies, that's a, a big piece of it. So if you notice that within your kids, if they are coming home and going, gosh, I'm so stupid, or man, I just, I'm, I'm not worth it. Like, why do people waste their time with me? Those are lies that need to be cut off at the, as soon as possible. Mm. So poor coping skills, pressures from friends, divorce can be a contributing factor, family and community violence. So having to interact, again, the social media piece, being able to see all the violence that goes on can push people into depression and beyond. Uh, stress to perform, perfectionism, loss and grief, alcohol and drugs, and, and finally abuse. Those are just some of the contributing factors that are good for you to keep an eye out for and yeah. to, to, you know, talk to your kids often about that. And that's so helpful. Thank you. Um, thanks, Aaron. Uh, one last question around this is also, um, and, and we don't need to branch into this fully because I, I, I think we need to have a whole other podcast specifically on tech and the family. But uh, w- w- any advice, any any 
just last kind of quick thoughts around how social media technology and your parenting uh, might you know, how do we even think about this when it comes to our kids with technology, with phones, with with uh, accounts, with all this stuff? What should we be thinking about? Yeah, that, yeah, you're right. That's a whole huge other podcast. But to, to kind of give it a quick spin into this realm, I was actually having a conversation with one of my coworkers, and, and she was talking about how when her daughter was younger um, and her daughter wanted to go over to a friend's house, the mom of the friend would call her or she would call the mom of the friend. They would have a dialogue and a discussion. They would get to know each other. And then they would allow the girls to go spend the night at one house or the other. And parents were intimately involved in all of those transactions in a kid's life or Mm -hmm. a teen's life. And nowadays, with the addition of smartphones and all this technology stuff, it's great because it streamlined a lot of stuff and made a lot of stuff easier. But it also has deterred uh, the interaction between parents of one family and parents of another family, of getting to know each other, of, of knowing who your kids are interacting with. And by doing that, it has separated parents away from even their own kids a little bit. Now kids come home and go, well, this is my calendar for the week. I'm going to go to so-and-so's house. I'm going to do homework here. I'm going to hit up this coffee shop. We're going to go to the football game this weekend. Oh, we've got homecoming this weekend, so I'm going to the dance. And parents now aren't involved with that anymore. Mm -hmm. And it boils down to asking, as a parent, asking yourself the question, what story do I choose to write for my kids? Mm -hmm. What story do do I want them to be involved in? Because kids, teenagers, even adults are going to pick whatever story they feel best fits them. And so asking yourself the question, what story am I going to write? So is it one in which you cut all technology out of your kids' lives and you go, no, you can't have, can't have a smartphone, can't have a tablet, you, you can't play video games, you can't mm-hmm. do... No, you can't do that in today's day and age. It, it can cause more harm than it, than it can good. So being able to, within that, be involved with your kids. You know, know the apps that they're downloading. Know the conversations that they're having. Ask them about their friends. Have them invite their friends over for dinner. Mm. You know, just order a ton of pizzas and you know, rent a stupid movie or, or, you know, watch it, you know, binge watch a Netflix show or something. Maybe like not that. 13 reasons why. Maybe but, not. Yeah. yeah. But, but, but even with that, you know, yeah. to bring that up, like sit down with your kids and watch that and have that conversation with them, create that story that they want to be involved with, mm-hmm. create that story that they go, you know what? I could go do this, but uh, you know, mom and dad have been talking about doing this and I, I want to do this with, with mom and dad. But more than that, I want to bring my friends along while we do this with mom and dad. And so being able to write that story really will draw them in. I mean, even biblically, you think about when we read the Bible, how it draws us closer to the Lord because we are involved in his story and we see our, our kind of subplot in his story and it draws us closer to him. Same concept applies in the family system. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. Well... Um, I, I, I want to just say one last thing to, to, to families out there in our church and maybe even beyond who who um, who have kids, who have teens, who who feel like they have just dropped the ball on this thus far. Uh, we want to always just say where the ideals are lacking, grace abounds. 
And I and, and and I think we have these visions and these ideals of how to make our families perfect and how we can limit their their exposure or how we can protect them or how we can be more involved in their life and how we can be their friends and how we can want them to want to stay home for pizza night instead of wanting to go to do something else with friends. Where, where the ideals are lacking and grace abounds, that the Lord is in control of your family and and anything in a positive direction is is a positive thing. So just an encouragement to our families to 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 pursue these things, to pursue your kids, even when it's not perfect, even when it's not ideal. Because listen, the reality is it's not ideal in any situation. So uh, praise the Lord for his grace. Praise the Lord for his grace. So, well, Aaron, thanks. I mean, seriously, so much for spending some time with us today talking about what's a heavy, serious topic. Uh, literally, brother, we love you. We're, we value your insight. And I think it's safe to say from a church, uh, we are all praying for this epidemic that it would just diminish as Christ's light shines in our world. Um, man, I just hope, brother, you'll come back on and, and do another couple podcasts with us because we have so many things that I think uh, we, could, we could dive into uh, as, as, we, as we talk and try and resource our church around this stuff. So uh, Thanks for listening, everybody. Stay tuned for more episodes of the Fathom Academy podcast. Uh, for, for more information, uh, feel free to check out our app. The Fathom Church app is available in all app stores. You can also find that at fathomchurch.org slash app. Uh, you can also visit our website anytime. We are going to start kind of rolling out more and more of this Fathom Academy stuff. So that's fathomchurch.org slash academy. Or you can always email us at podcast at fathomchurch.org if you have ideas about future episodes, if you have feedback for us about any any of the shows we're putting out. Uh, we'd love to hear from you, uh, but appreciate you guys. Love you guys. See y'all soon.